So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. to a brand new episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, I'm your good buddy, uh, Nate Larkin, here with my good buddy and yours, David Hampton. How you doing, David? I am doing well today. How are you? Oh, I heard a little delay there. Is there some, are you really doing well? Or are you trying? <laughs> you know, I, I, I am doing well. I, um, I have had a challenging week, you know, in a good way. Uh-huh. Um, and I am learning about um, boundaries and and um, <laughs> trying uh, to realize that I don't have to agree with everybody in the whole wide world, and I don't have to fix everybody in the whole wide world. And everybody's position on things in this world is not always my uh, crusade to take on. You know. Uh, oh. I, <laughs> you know. Okay. That, All right. That, that age-old recovery principle that, you know, you can't uh, change people, places, and things and, and fix mm-hmm. those things always. And that, um, you know, you don't have to always be on the same page with everybody in the world to love them. And yes. um, and that's been something that's been brought out to me this week in a, you know, loving way, but in a hard way. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm, and so I'm not trying to be vague, but I don't have everybody's permission to talk specifically, so I won't, but, sure. right, uh, right, right, but right. it left me realizing that, um, that I have, uh, I, <laughs> I have a tendency to want to go way beyond the call of duty in some circumstances <laughs> when it comes to, <laughs> uh, my ability to see and, and, uh, and tell everyone about, you know, in my infinite wisdom what they should yeah. and should not be uh, uh, engaged in, believing, participating yeah. in uh, yeah, yeah. when it comes to how their life works. And so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. those are well, That's understandable. Well, you know, when you are the fount of all wisdom and you do have a monopoly on all the truth, when you yeah, understand absolutely. all the hidden things of the universe and are clear about, you know, uh, the <laughs> totally. recesses of your own heart and those of everyone else's, you can discern uh, yeah, absolutely. motives. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. When God yeah, has yeah. uniquely revealed to you the, the, the specific <laughs> truth in a situation, you sort of feel an obligation to share it with the world, right? Yeah, I know I do. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and, and imagine the audacity of the people who, uh, who find that not to be welcoming in their, yeah, <laughs> in their reality. Yeah, I know. How narrow-minded can they be? Right. <laughs> yeah, you know. So anyway, so uh, God, the universe, and all all concerned have conspired against me this week to bring me to a place of uh, renewed humility. You know, as mm-hmm. we all have to experience, and uh, and it's good for me. It was actually a very good experience overall. But at the time, I was like, I cannot, I cannot believe I'm hearing this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I cannot believe yeah, right. somebody is coming at me with this uh, inappreciative. Uh, yeah. <laughs> response yeah. to my to my blessing them with uh, all my all my wise insights. And so yeah, yeah, yuck, but good. <laughs> How about you? You know, I yeah. Well, you know, I, I can't identify at all because you know I am the soul of humility, and yeah. uh, I do nothing but listen, and I have no opinions of my own. <laughs> I, I get it. I know. <laughs> You know, yeah. I think I've talked about it on this on this show before, but it was such a turning point in my own recovery when my 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 sponsor, God bless him, my twelve step sponsor, helped me identify pride as my primary and most challenging character defect and referred mm. me to the twelve and twelve to chapter seven 
of the chap uh, of the 12 and 12, the 12 steps and 12 traditions, which by the way, Bill W wrote somewhere down the road in recovery. I think that was, written. Mm. yeah, the big book came out in 38 and it was in the fifties that the 12 and 12 was written. So by then, I think Bill himself had probably been humbled in ways that he needed to be humbled. Yeah. And it had become clear to him that underlying all the steps is humility. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Right? I agree 100%. And, and love it, that and about the come, program. Yeah. It comes so hard to us. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, to other people, not to me. I'm really good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you're probably, <laughs> the, the less evolved, you know, yeah. <laughs> struggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Well, I, actually, you know what? This is something that you and I actually talked about when, uh, you know, we, we kind of had the initial vision for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we are, both of us Christians, both of us from Christian backgrounds. So we live within a Christian worldview. We have Christian commi- convictions, but we also have found our spirituality saved through recovery, mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. lives saved through recovery, mm-hmm. um, our, um, our understanding opened and why we got brand new perspectives in recovery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we did not have during those times of absolute, you know, fervent commitment to a religious, a, a complete religious system. Right. Somehow, still didn't seem to address our deepest needs uh, or, or help us uh, escape those, those traps. Right. Right. So, uh, so we said, Hey, what if we, what if we have a podcast that we open it up to anybody who's in the recovery conversation? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing I love about the guests that we've been able to find Nate is that, is that we want to present anything that people are doing in recovery to help others um, that is positive and that is um, beneficial. And, and, you know, while you and I would, would call ourselves Christian, that doesn't mean the same thing to every single Christian either, you know? (laughs) And 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 I don't know that it means the same thing to me as it did 20 years ago. Well, I know it doesn't mean the same thing to me as it did 20 years ago. And, (laughs) You know, yeah, and right. not in a bad way, but but I think that as as that's true for us, so is the uh, so is the work in recovery. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because there are there there is recovery the way we generally experience it in our world or our culture mm-hmm. or our our you know paradigm, and then there's a whole lot more going on out there in the world of recovery that people are doing and doing some great things with people, helping people that we may not encounter in. Mm-hmm what might be our, our smaller, um, our smaller quote, Christian paradigms or whatever that looks like. Don't tell me that God is possibly at work beyond the horizon of my own vision or understanding. Yeah. Isn't that amazing that that could be true? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, the, the great thing about this, David, it, is that it has vastly expanded um, our <laughs> our universe of potential guests and has opened up the conversation. Mm-hmm. We've had I got to tell you, we've had some conversations on this podcast that have left me just kind of wincing. Um, it's really <laughs> stretched uh-huh. my ability to go, uh-huh. you know, to listen empathetically, respectfully, mm-hmm. uh, to be open to learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I, you know, I'm grateful that we're doing this podcast. I really am. I think it, I do know that for me, it, it has been and continues to be spiritually beneficial and it informs my own faith. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think we all um, have a lot of room for uh, uh, learning to think a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you do. I, I, I got it. Well, except again, you know, I'm speaking for the less evolved. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll represent that that demographic. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Is that as much set up for this episode? We got a great guest this uh, this week. Uh, we've got a, a a wide variety of guests upcoming. I think we're going to have some fun conversations throughout yeah, the fall. Definitely. Um, 
Yeah, but probably enough of this. Do you think it's time to bring on a guest, have another I, conversation, David? I, I think we will. I think this is a good time to just let's do it. Okay, well, let's turn it over to Rex, our fearless, peerless producer. He's going to make this all sound seamless. When we return, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have a nice conversation here on the Positive Sobriety Uh, this is Dr. Michael Hinckley, and Dr. Mike comes from uh, uh, comes to us from Connecticut, from the Connecticut shoreline, and um, he is the founder and executive director of a recovery uh, treatment center called Wildwood Farm. And uh, one of the things that makes Wildwood Farm unique is that they serve the LGBTQ plus population and um, the specific needs that that community. Um, is experiencing with re regard to sobriety and recovery. And um, it's an interesting dynamic because uh, those uh, are those are some interesting uh, experiences that uh, in recovery we have when we learn that that uh, is a is a community of people. These are folks that have sometimes higher addiction rates, higher rates of trauma, certainly higher uh, rates of uh, all kinds of things that, that go with feeling marginalized and out of place as, as we grow up. And so, uh, Dr. Mike, I, I don't want to steal your explanation for anything that you're doing there, but welcome to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Well, it's great to join you, David and Nate. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, we are too. Thank you very much. Dr. Mike, how did you uh, get into the whole recovery uh, uh, line of work, so to speak. I mean, you're, uh, you're a doctorate, you're working in recovery treatment. Um, I don't imagine you just wandered into that, uh, one day thinking it would be a good way to, uh, make a living. Maybe you did, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how do you have a recovery story of your own that led you into this line of work? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I, it. Cause that's it, where it is. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the, the scoop was, uh, I spent 20 years as a Catholic priest and I got sober at the age of 46. Mm. Uh, I quit drinking, uh, on my own. Uh, happened to be my mother's birthday and, uh, I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And mm -hmm. that last year I tried to quit every single day, except the holidays, of course, who, who gives a care. But um, I, I quit uh, June 4th, 2010, and uh, uh, six months later, I had an issue with anxiety, and I didn't understand why all this anxiety was coming forward after quitting drinking. And, you know, retrospect, I do have a, a sense of what all that was, but at the time, I didn't. So I went for treatment, and uh, where they sent priests out towards the Mayo Clinic, and uh, they housed us in a priest house, and then we'd go to the Mayo Clinic for treatment. And uh, during that time, uh, I discovered that uh, I had uh, some really unconscious uh, amnesia issues with uh, uh, sexual abuse as a kid. Oh, wow. And being a, a survivor of that uh, played a big role in the alcoholism. And uh, so I went through treatment for that and came home and continued the treatment for that. Subsequently left uh, ministry and ended up uh, taking a job. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a little brief story. I was at an AA meeting and a dear friend who's passed on now uh, was sitting in a wheelchair and he pulled me aside. He said, uh, why are you such the backside of a, of a horse, you know? And, <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, you just left ministry because you didn't feel comfortable with all of the fundraising and all the demands on you. And now you're going towards a new career where you're going to be doing the same thing, the demands and the fundraising. 
And as you know, fundraising world, there's a lot of alcohol in there. He said, Mike, sit down and tell me in the next half hour, what do you really want to do? And I told him, after all that I'd been through, that I really wanted to be a therapist uh, for people in addiction. And he said, then do it and your higher power will lead you. Wow. You know, within a month, within a month, I had a new job that was uh, honoring my education, making me a senior clinician at a local rehab, and that I got accepted into Fordham School for social work with a concentration in addiction. So within a month, my whole world changed. And uh, that was really the hand of my higher power. Uh, so once I got through uh, Fordham, uh, I had a wonderful professor, Dr. Poindexter, who talked about uh, addiction and social issues in the LGBT community, especially the trans community. And I just became overly uh, sensitive to the plight of this uh, disadvantaged community. And that's how the idea of Wildwood came. Wow. That is, that is really... Um... That's, I mean, that's always so exciting to hear when we trust what we think um, is leading us, that it happens, you know, it opens up. Um, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So I uh, started working um, at uh, two different uh, rehabs, one after the other. And while mm -hmm. I was working, I said, you know, I had this idea of Wildwood. Uh, I didn't have a name. I didn't have a concept. I, I was just kind of dreaming about it. And I said, you know, I should start a private practice so that, you know, I wasn't getting any younger. And as I uh, get towards getting older, I would have a practice that I could take on into retirement. Well, that practice uh, here in Madison, Connecticut, uh, within a couple of months went from a couple of clients to 30 to 40 clients and eventually grew to 60 clients. And um, I left my work uh, for that. And I, I was hiring uh, contract uh, clinicians to come work with me to service the community. Subsequently, all kinds of people started joining in the game uh, of addiction. But back then, uh, I was the only uh, guy in town doing it, and uh, great experience. And as that kind of developed momentum, I had the ability to go hunting and found a farm here in town, a historic farm. In fact, I'm the second owner of Wildwood Farm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's over 200 years old, and I, uh, I bought it from the original family. Wow. And they had it through the generations. And it's a kind of wild story that the last occupant was there, uh, Dr. Lowry. She'd been there for like 60 years and in her later years used this farmhouse to help some of her uh, family uh, get off drinking and drugs. So she was offering sobriety to people in that house. So there's a special spirit to the land and to the house. Uh, it's a great facility. It's a large farmhouse. Uh, we, we've got six uh, bedrooms en suite and uh, uh, some property there. Uh, we typically have some chickens on the grounds and goats, pigs. I like to have some sheep. We don't have any right now, but uh, mm -hmm. it's a nice array of, of a small homestead. And uh, the concept is that we take a person from addiction and put them into a situation where they have to develop life skills and relating to other people in a new way. And the first stage of that is taking on the responsibility of chores with the animals. Mm. So if you can relate to a goat uh, and handle the goat <laughs> you can handle another person. <laughs> Yeah, so we do it that way, and we're very 12-step based. Um, the 
the program is located here and subsequently it has grown. So Wildwood has uh, nine beds, 10 beds actually, uh, at uh, the farmhouse. And then across the street, we have what we call Wildwood Cottage. And that is uh, a five bed uh, program. And that's specifically for higher acuity or for uh, trans clients. And they have their own land there, but they, they all work on the same farm together. And then we have uh, what we call Wildwood uh, Behavioral Health, and that is our clinical program. We are uh, a rare bird in that we're serving the LGBT community, but we're also serving that community licensed as both addiction, SUD, and mental health, because I believe both have to be done at the same time. And uh, you won't find a lot of programs that have that mental health primary license. Uh -huh. we, we do that for the clients. Yeah. Well, we ask that a client go through detox and primary treatment first. And that's different for many clients in the queer community, queer uh -huh. referring to LGBTQ. Uh -huh. um, the queer community, there are some parts of the community that have a hard time going to treatment in a 28-day program. For example, trans clients. Uh, believe it or not, in this day and age, uh, there are programs that actually do some, some challenges to our population. We right. just brought in a, 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 a client uh, not too long ago, and he's uh, male, a gay male and uh, ran into a problem where uh, uh, people didn't want to room with him. And uh, the agency's response was, oh, it happens all the time. Well, that's not great for that client. Uh -huh. right. right. How are you supposed to be starting to work on your deeper issues when you're experiencing that kind of marginalization or oppression? Uh -huh. and those are the big themes that we address. Uh -huh. marginalization, oppression, they tend to form within the person these deep-based shame identities. And so you feel like you are lesser than or worthless. Uh -huh. And what ends up happening is anger and fear. And that takes the form of what's known as homophobia or transphobia. And that's within the gay person. Uh. The gay person hating the fact or fearing the fact that they're gay because right. of the oppression and the marginalization they experience their whole lives. Uh -huh. Is that, there a go ahead, Doctor? I was just going to say those experiences of marginalization, oppression, they can happen at the ages of four, five, six, seven, sure. before the person even has a word like gay. Uh -huh. you just know they're different. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Is there an age range that uh, you typically see coming to the farm, coming to your treatment center? Well, we have a limit of 18 and older. Uh -huh. We typically get people in 20s, 30s. Uh, we get some 40s. But we get them all the way. Our oldest client, I think, uh, was in their late 70s. Wow. Uh, average length of stay, as, as Nate was asking, um, it's five and a half months. Uh -huh. Many many will stay six to 12 months. Uh -huh. So we really go the journey. And then once they finish with us, we have about a third of our clients will take an apartment or go to a, uh, a sober house locally and continue with our clinical services. Uh -huh. So we have relationships with people up to two or three years uh -huh. because they carry in themselves, they know the message, and right. they can can they can have the compassion, right? Uh -huh. um, you have Is to there... be able to. You have to be able to be with a wounded spirit, right? Uh -huh. um, you know, you 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 got to have compassion. You know, I say this all the time. If you're in recovery and it's successful, you darn better have compassion for other people at the beginning of the journey. Mm. If you don't, there's something wrong with your recovery. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. I, I see those birds every once in a while in AA who are always critical. Oh, they don't do this. They don't do this. Or uh-huh. They're talking about drugs too much. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's something that, that, uh, that even uh, the client himself who's uh, at work in recovery himself or herself, their self, I guess is the way to say it. Um, th- that shame can be internalized and it's coming uh, from the culture and even from the recovery community. Is that accurate, Dr. Mike? Yeah, well, the, sh- the shame is embedded. Right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very slow process to work on that. Uh, mm-hmm. The vast majority of queer people that go to treatment don't work on this level. Uh-huh. They go to a heterosexual environment to get sober. And what happens is you don't talk about the difficult stuff of being queer because yeah. others won't tolerate it. Every person engaged in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for being involved. Maybe it's a husband or wife a daughter or a son, a mom or a dad, a best friend, a colleague, a job, a hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On the Positive Sobriety Podcast, we understand that the opposite of addiction is connection. And our mission includes building a strong community and working together to break the stigma of alcohol addiction. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at soberlink.com PSP. That PSP, of course, stands for Positive Sobriety Podcast. The link again is soberlink.com slash PSP. You can't talk about, you know, the number one drug among gay men uh, in urban areas uh, is meth. Uh Really? They... When they use meth, it tends to involve uh, group sex. Mm-hmm. These sex parties can go on for a couple of days. So the person disappears for a few days, maybe from work or from family. And uh, how are you going to talk in a heterosexual environment about group gay sex? Yeah. And have somebody lean over and go, I know exactly what you're going through. Because that's what Bill W. wanted. Uh He wanted us to interconnect with each other and bond so that when somebody says, I know what you've been through, I'm here with Uh you. That's what AA's fiber is. Uh And for that not to happen for the queer person leaves them marginalized in, in their experience of AA. The second piece I'll say to that is that uh, the queer person also has to have the ability to find a higher power. Mm -hmm. And the LGBT community traditionally does not have great relationships with traditional religion. Uh Right. So often they throw that out. And what happens is they throw out, you know, any kind of healthy understanding of a higher power and in my limited experience, I see the ability to employ and be related to and work the first three steps in relationship to a higher power is very difficult for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And mm -hmm. that happens to be a gift I have with my background to be able mm -hmm. to show them. And the way that I do it and why we're set on a farm is to relate to creation as something that comes and is a manifestation of the higher power. Uh, Whenever you assign that. So let's yeah. deal with creation and how beautiful it is to live here on the shoreline, how beautiful the animals are and the vegetable gardens, and find yourself a higher power so that you can really work the step, steps in a healthy way. Yeah. Dr. Mike, do you all do family work as well uh, with the families of the, of the clients and the patients that you have? Uh, at the farm, because it would seem to me, I mean, in any, in any recovery model, you know, family work uh, sometimes is lacking, but also it's so important. And especially in this environment where maybe the family has uh, estranged themselves from these people and this person, is that, is that something that you all work with? Absolutely. And it, it's one of the two lungs of treatment, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing we do is we want to empower the client, right? So in our vocabulary, there are no clients, there are residents. Mm -hmm. The idea is you're residing here for you to work on yourself. Okay. Not like you're a client that people are going to service. Right. You're here residing to work on yourself and part of yourself is that family experience. So half of our program is identify who that family is. Uh -huh. Many times, uh, some of our clients have left family when they were very young, uh -huh. uh, and there's no relationship at all. Sometimes there's a, a tenuous relationship that has to be kind of bridged. We can do that work. And we also do work with uh, our LGBT clients often have what's called an adoptive family or a family yeah. of choice where the person chooses other LGBT people to be kind of their nuclear family and uh, their health care proxy and all that are from that community. And we'll work with that community too. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to you have to enter it understanding who the resident's primary family is and help them whether it's a family of choice or also a family of birth. Mm. Uh, now, Doctor Mike, you mentioned that your program is twelve step based, which I absolutely love. Uh, I'm wondering, um, are all of your meetings on site, or do your residents participate in community twelve step meetings? And if the latter is the case, what kind of interplay do you see? How has the presence of your population affected those meetings and vice versa? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the best way to describe it is we have uh, one meeting we host on Sunday mornings at the farm. Mm -hmm. And we call that uh, Big Book and Bagels. And, nice. Uh, Nice, People nice. come around there, and when it's cold, we have a campfire, uh, and they uh, they have a meeting that's once a week. The rest of the week and chunks of your time during the week are given over to AA uh, experience. So mm -hmm. every evening, they're brought out to, uh, by one of our vans, brought out to meetings in the community, and then... Uh, during the week, they're given time to have a coffee date with a friend from AA or NA, mm -hmm. have a, uh, a meeting with your sponsor. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's constant interconnection. The AA community here on Connecticut Shoreline is amazing. Mm -hmm. In these three small towns here, we have 70 AA meetings a week. Wow. Man. So there's a lot to choose from, and we really have some some great meetings. There's, yeah. you know, we're we're right in the area where, you know, there are people here that knew Bill W. So, uh -huh. you know, it's that kind of area. Yeah, 
Do you work with therapists, Dr. Mike, that also uh, might need um, just some some good input and understanding, for instance, about how to address trans issues in their clients? Because that may be uh, foreign and new uh, to a lot of people, uh, even even in the clinicians, uh, the, the person sitting in the clinician seat. Do you work with therapists as well to kind of help shape their understandings? Yes, I do. I, I do a lot of workshops around the country and I, I'll go to programs or rehabs and do presentations for therapists. And, you know, the number one thing that I get asked is how do you handle with a trans person uh, pronouns? Mm. And, you know, he, him, hers, they. Uh, and so a, a pronoun is usually a uh, thought of by all of us in a grammatical sense. Mm-hmm. Our eyes perceive a person, we assign to them a gender, and we pull the pronoun forward. It's a grammatical response to something you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So what I ask people to do, clinicians and everybody, is interrupt that process. Mm-hmm. Be mindful that when you're working with a person, especially today's young people, uh-huh. uh, a, a person may look to your eye uh, as, a, as a male, but they may actually be non-binary, where uh-huh. their identity sexually, uh, 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 gender-wise, just isn't falling into a traditional norm. Right. So they'll go by they. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh, one of the best ways to do this is I'll start by saying, I'm Dr. Mike, and I go by he, him pronouns. And how would you like to be known? Uh-huh. Yeah. And it does a couple of things. If it's a, a, a straight male or female you're speaking to, it puts them on the awareness that you're in an environment where we're sensitive to LGBT people. Uh And if the person is non-binary, they feel very accepted. If they're LGBT, they're very accepted. Uh So use the pronoun to uh, assist the person in their journey, how they understand themselves. Uh Don't use the pronoun according to you. Use Uh it according to them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, very much, I think. How do you help a family, Dr. Mike? I mean, this is sort of a, a, a hypothetical and maybe not a hypothetical. Um, say there's a 24-year-old male, uh, bi- biologically male client who comes in, who's presenting with a number of issues and particularly addictive behavior with respect to maybe alcohol and some substances and different things. And in the course of the, of the work, uh, as, as he uh, gets comfortable, he discloses that he believes he's trans and he's never told anybody. And this is a complete, um, secret that he has carried as he's finally been able to admit it to himself. And I'm using he, him as, because that's how he has presented up to that point. But it, if, if that, person's parents comes in and says, you know, he wants to have this disclosure. He wants to, he wants to talk about this with them. And they say, you know what, that's BS. Um, we're not here to talk about all that. And you're not trans. And I don't know where you're getting this crazy stuff. We're here to get you sober and for you to quit this bad behavior. Cause the behavior is obviously the problem. <laughs> Um, what, how do you, how do you turn that corner with people when, when their immediate response is to shut down, put the lid on it, tell the, the, the young person who and what they are, and then say, now let's get back to our regular programming and get you sober. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that client many times. I would imagine. (laughs) Um, if I may, just to correct language a little bit. Yeah. We don't. We wouldn't say um, biologically male. Okay. We would say assigned a male marker at birth. Okay. So the doctors assign this based on genitalia. Mm-hmm. 
but we know gender isn't necessarily genitalia. Gender is, it's an emotional construct within the person. So what a trans person uh, is experiencing is that their emotional gender doesn't match the, the physicality of their genitalia. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the connection. So we say assigned at birth. Great. And okay. what we would do with that scenario is, okay, we want the family, we want those parents involved in a conversation, involved in some therapy. We want to hear their emotions. Mm-hmm. And then we want to introduce the idea of grieving. Mm. That's going to be the final goal. You're going to feel loss. Mm-hmm. And you're going to want to cling to what you know in the past. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you know. Yeah. And you have to, it's almost like someone uh, is grieving the loss of that son. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they lose the opportunity to welcome the daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we get there? Well, a big part of it is, yes, affirming the fact that there were behaviors, but also that the... Uh, the trans child of this parent, uh, this trans child uh, is not the problem. The person is never the problem in addiction. Addiction is the problem. We don't blame a person for addiction. We know better than that today. Uh So we have to separate behaviors from the person mm-hmm. part of this person happens to be a struggle that probably goes way back yeah sometimes i can ask a parent when was the first time that you might have thought there was something different about your child and they'll say well they used to like to play with mom's shoes mm-hmm. when he was a kid okay mm-hmm. maybe something maybe not mm-hmm. uh and then you'll have a conversation with the resident or the client, and you'll say, what was your earliest indication of being trans? And most often they'll say, when I was six, when I was seven, when I was four, Mm -hmm. they'll go back to prepubescent age and Mm -hmm. say, I felt something was different. I didn't feel like I was a boy. And that's an indication this person really has a sound sense of who they are as a trans person. Wow. And we let the parent realize that that's who this person is. Mm-hmm. And they haven't been able to share their full self for one reason or the other, maybe addiction. And now we're at a point where you can know the whole story if you would like. Mm-hmm. Would you like to know the whole story? Mm-hmm. And that's an invitation any parent can't resist. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That I mean, that's that's good because, gosh, you you navigate some tricky waters. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love my work. Yeah, but that's uh, that's that is challenging and and difficult because you know, in any scenario, really, I think everyone comes in believing that the problem is the behavior, right? I mean, the problem is the substance, or the problem is the acting out, and then we have to go deeper, no matter what. Uh, the underlying issues tend to be, uh, and and often it reveals a lot of disruptive stuff. And we all want to go back to say, no, we're not we're not here to talk about that. We're here to just get you sober. <laughs> yes. And, uh, Sometimes the the parent is at the position where they don't want to do anything. Uh, they want nothing to do with the client because of their uh, gender or sexuality, uh-huh. and. We try to keep doors open at that point. You do what you can. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really f- believe greatly in that idea of just honoring the person. Uh, I used to tell youth groups, God doesn't make junk. Mm. We're all wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. Some of us have more difficult challenges in life than others. Mm-hmm. And addiction is a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both, we all three know it takes many of us out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. 
those of us who are able to get some years behind us and one day at a time, we have to have an appreciation for that. Right. And realize right. others are challenged to find mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this is this is good stuff, uh, Dr. Mike. I appreciate your um, just your input and your uh, the work you're doing and the community uh, within which you have uh, found yourself and and able to work and the work at Wildwood. How can people get in touch with you if uh, they wanted to reach out to you, wanted to reach out and know more about Wildwood Farm? Absolutely. Uh, one of the best ways is to get on the website, recovery at wildwoodfarm.com, mm-hmm. recovery at wildwoodfarm.com. And uh, you'll see the ability to send me an email there and a uh, phone call uh, is available there. And then my, my phone is 203 and I'm glad to help anybody try to find placement, whether here or wherever. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to be with you guys. I've enjoyed the conversation. Oh, likewise. Yes. Absolutely. So so have I. And, it, and by the way, it has stimulated me and urged to see um, the shore of Connecticut. I don't know if I've ever been along the shoreline of Connecticut. Oh, it's beautiful. It's New England Village is right on the, the ocean. Oh, man. Oh! Okay. All right. Okay. I'm, I, I'm feeling a pressing need to visit Wildwood Farm. Like yeah, real, I real, think real field, field trip might be in order. <laughs> yeah. You're more than welcome. All right. Take care, Dr. you guys. Mike, well, thank thank you. you so much for spending time with us. Listeners, well. stay with us. We will return in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to Positive Sobriety Podcast. And I am so grateful uh, for Dr. Michael Hinckley, uh, Nate, today coming in and sharing the work that he is doing uniquely there in Connecticut at Wildwood Farm and um, and the community of people that he serves. Because I know just in my own work and my own practice and my own life that people um in recovery who also are finding themselves in the spectrum of LGBTQ plus uh, Mm -hmm. populations that um, there is, there's a much higher uh, suicide rate. There's a much higher Mm -hmm. rate. There's a much higher rate of trauma and um, you know, in the trans community and on and on. And, and regardless of the challenges that that may be for some of our, um, our beliefs or things that we think that we hold to about what we think we know about that Mm -hmm. uh, situation and and community. I I think that it is so important for us to be able to listen with empathy and open ears to the reality that other people have. Because one of the things we learn as we, you know, get into coaching and counseling is that we don't get to tell other people what's okay about them. We have to meet them where they are and, and go from there. And, um, I just love that there's a community that will embrace these folks that are struggling and especially when it makes its way into uh, really potentially life-threatening behaviors um, and embrace them and help them integrate their truth and their reality into into their lives where they can live soberly and peacefully and and happily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so well said, David. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm looking at the clock and I'm seeing that time once again has flown. We're quickly approaching the end of this episode. Uh, This is one of those that I know I'm going to want to listen to a second time Mm -hmm. and uh, and glean from. (laughs) I, you know, but I got to tell you, I love the story. Every time I hear the story, we hear different versions of the story week after week. so here we have uh, Dr. Mike, a guy who's, you know, drinking was about to, you know, you can, I, I could tell just from listening between the lines that ministry had kind of lost its meaning, uh, drinking more than he wanted to drink, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. getting older, wondering where purpose is, right? Mm-hmm. And then 
you know, by the intervention of a higher power, he finds recovery, he finds sobriety. And then here, you know, at closing in as I am, I'm not going to speak for you, but as I am kind of on, you know, that, you know, final lap of life, getting down to the close now, you know, comes into focus, mission, purpose, message, gifting, Mm -hmm. calling, and, uh, you know, (laughs) to see on his face and to hear in his voice, the gratitude and satisfaction of knowing that he now is doing something truly worthwhile, truly contributing to creation during his time here and doing so, uh, and, and, and I'm pleased that he does it, you know, with, within, uh, the covering of his own Christian faith at all. It kind of completes the circle. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah, it absolutely, absolutely is. I love hearing it again. Uh, and I don't know where you found the guy, but I'm glad you did, David. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. We shake a lot of bushes. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's about it for this week. Uh, a reminder, we do love to hear from you. We want to hear your input, your reaction. You can always reach us at Positive Sobriety Podcast at gmail.com. Well, until next time then, I'm Nate. I'm David and my good friend Nate and I are happy to have you here on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 